Hello, I'm Neil Aitchison and welcome to another University of Warwick podcast. Researchers from the Centre for Fusion Space and Astrophysics have hit upon a method to detect patterns in swarms of objects like locusts or flocks of birds. University of Warwick research student Robert Wicks explains the work could have a range of applications from analysing plasma in the solar wind to stock market movements. Rob, let's start then just by describing first of all about swarming theory and what it is and what sort of elements really that we're uh, looking at in your, your work here and uh, kind of why, why that's important really. Originally, swarming theory started off in the biological sciences um, to describe how large numbers of birds, bacteria and insects moved. Uh, you can't possibly track many thousands of locusts across Africa millions of locusts normally in fact across Africa um, but it's very important where those locusts actually end up you may have famine in Ethiopia or you may not depending on where they go so we'd very much like to be able to understand and predict them these large biological systems so very simple models of these uh, swarms were developed um, by biologists about 15 10 to 15 years ago now um, and what I've done, or what we have done at the Centre for Fusion Space and Astrophysics, is to try and develop a technique for analysing these swarms, but only using a very limited amount of data. Because you can't track millions of locusts, um, you might, but you might be able to track a few hundred if you attach transmitters to them or something, I'm not sure how locust studies work, um, then using the technique that we discuss, um, you, we can hopefully use that limited amount of data to discuss and, and derive what the whole system of locusts is going to do. And so you're looking at what patterns within these swarms, isn't it? I think it's, it's uh, transitions between order and disorder. It's, Absolutely. It's so at, at the beginning of their life cycle, the locusts are moving randomly, eating vegetation they can't fly yet, um, and they're, they're sort of randomly distributed locally around some, some part of the countryside. And then spontaneously somehow all the locusts decide to fly off in one direction and that really isn't very well understood I mean biologists are working towards it and we have a better understanding now than we did but predicting when that sudden group motion is going to occur um, is really something that uh, is very much at the forefront of research at the moment. And just to come back to the, that point then so this would help us to predict where insects or birds may end up and uh, why is that important then? In the case of locusts, um, obviously where the locusts end up is very important because they tend to eat everything in their path. So um, if the very large swarm of locusts is heading towards your farmland you want to know. Um, and preferably we'd like to affect where they're going. If it's possible to tell when they're about to move maybe we can influence what direction they move in and if we can get them all to fly out to sea then we've possibly diverted a famine. How difficult is it to uh, analyse this sort of area? You, you, the problem perhaps being is the amount of um, particles or different objects that are uh, moving in any one study. Absolutely, I mean um, with the advent of computer technology, you know Moore's law, computer power doubling every two years, um, it's become easier and easier to model these things so people are relying on computer models a lot more. However, these are now becoming not really so based in fact because really biologists measuring birds and locusts have very limited amounts of data. So what we wanted to do was bring the focus back on to what is happening in the real world 
um, to try and imagine what we would know if we were really measuring locusts or birds. And that wasn't the positions and velocities of uh, many millions of different particles or, or animals, um, but in fact only a few. If you're um, racing pigeons, you know, you may tag a few pigeons from the flock, or if you have starlings, you may tag um, 50 to 100, if you're very lucky, starlings from a, a swarm of thousands. And so we wanted to look at, at that kind of data, only a few particles from a much larger group. I think we were talking something like uh, 10, about uh, a group of 3,000 Absolutely. Uh, particles, that sort of uh, numbers. Yeah, in the in the paper we published we chose 10 from about 3,000. That's purely for computational reasons in the paper, but we think it's something ab about typical of what you might measure in a real situation. And just explain to us a little then about uh, mutual information and uh, the work that you've been doing to uh, come up with this um, uh, conclusions about how these uh, swarms form and uh, change? Well, mutual information has been around for over 50 years now. It was originally developed um, in 1949, along with much of the rest of information theory, um, by Claude Shannon, who was a very clever person. But um, it's it's really been ignored, well, not exactly ignored, but very much underused by the scientific community. That um, computer scientists and um, software engineers use this kind of information theory all the time and branches of mathematics have been developed very extensively but the biological and physical communities haven't really uh, latched onto this what is actually a very powerful statistical tool um, what mutual information tells you is how much information in the sense of ones and zeros if you were to digitize a signal how much information is shared between two signals and how we use it in with the model is we turn the path of one of our particles into um, a signal of different... So we have, I think, about 20 different letters in our alphabet, and those letters correspond to positions. Um, from those, we can calculate a mutual information. Uh, and that allows you to um, track the pattern of movement within yes, the group? Yes, we lose the exact information about where the particles are, but we gain a better statistical understanding of the particle's behaviour. So we can say the particles are clustering together, or the particles are moving randomly, or they're somewhere in between. Um, but we lose the exact knowledge of where all the particles are. Uh, so what improvement have you seen using this uh, mutual information uh, structure to uh, how this sort of work was done previously? The um, normal way to analyse this kind of order-to-disorder transition is to use a standard deviation or another statistical test on, on a very basic level like that. And this mutual information technique, uh, even with the very limited amount of particles that we've restricted ourselves to, is about four times better in terms of error. What does this do for us then? What sort of applications uh, are we looking at to, uh, to, uh, to apply this sort of work? Well, any system where you expect um, individual animals, particles, bodies, whatever, to um, be moving together, so um, crowd dynamics of humans, any cooperative or, or group behaviour in biology, so this goes all the way from bacteria right up to things like antelope, um, and also in things like um, turbulence theories, which is where I come from. So in turbulence you have large numbers of particles moving together. 
uh, and also things like stock markets where you have large numbers of shares moving together. And just describe to us, first of all, the areas of, uh, that you've applied it to specifically in your uh, area of research then? I'm working in the Centre for Fusion Space and Astrophysics, so I'm primarily um, a plasma physicist and I research turbulence in the solar wind. Um, the solar wind is the flow of hot gas that uh, comes off the sun and heads towards the Earth. And we're interested in it because large events in the solar wind hit the Earth and can cause um, disruption to power grids, um, damage satellites and potentially hazardous for astronauts. So we'd like to know more about what happens in the solar wind. The problem is there are only of the order 5 to 10 satellites actually in the solar wind at any given time. So we have a very large continuous medium with very complicated behaviour, but we only have about 10 um, measurements on what it's doing, and they're very widely spaced. So we were looking for a new technique to analyse this very sparse data and give us an overall picture of what was happening. And this is analysing plasma in the solar wind? It is. It's very, very hot gas, so the electrons have been removed from the atoms, um, and that means the electric and magnetic fields in space are making a, a collective motion. Large storms in the solar wind hit the Earth's magnetic field and cause aurora, amongst other things. They, can, they generate large electric fields and also high-velocity particles, so that's um, quite bad for astronauts. They can be irradiated. Um, and these electric fields can also damage um, power grids in the ground. There was a blackout in Canada um, about 10 years ago, which was put down to one of these storms. So the direct application in this specific sense would be uh, what then? What, well, we uh, have, what would be the result of it? We have, um, in, in terms of plasma, we have three or four satellites in, in front of the Earth in terms of closer to the Sun. So we would hope that um, this work will give us a clearer picture of, of um, what's happening in the solar wind uh, in front of the Earth, and that will then give us perhaps a better warning uh, about uh, events that are heading our way. And other sort of applications then that, uh, I mean, you mentioned there about the uh, financial markets. Um, how could that, the work be applied there? Well, because the um, method only really uses um, time series and it's only interested in the information, you can apply it to any system that has this coherent motion. And um, in the stock market, you have the similar thing, you know, Shares from companies that aren't in the same market will tend to have, will tend to move in random directions relative to each other, whereas shares in the same market will move more or less at the same time. And then when you have these market-wide crashes or um, improvements, all the shares are moving together. So this is a bit like the uh, system of birds or locusts. Sometimes they move at random, and sometimes they all move together. Um, and so I think it'd be very interesting to see this kind of theory applied to stock markets and see what the information um, theoretical approach to stock markets is. I think we can certainly say how strongly the shares are moving together. So if there's a very strong motion in one direction, we can measure that. Whether that tells you whether that motion will continue or not, I don't know. I think I'd need to speak to an economist. Uh, and you also mentioned about sort of working with crowds and uh, the patterns in crowds and what what would be the, the sort of work there? Well, humans are social animals and they tend to move together as well. So one possible aspect is in the design of new buildings, especially stadia, um, 
you would like to have large numbers of people moving coherently together through the hallways and out in and out safely. Um, so one possibility for this work is analysing data from crowds of humans moving through buildings or modelling it on computers and helping to decide, design safer cities and buildings. Also you can think of it in terms of riot control as well. Um, if you've got a large number of people moving through a city in a way you don't want them to, then it may be possible to analyse where they're going and how many there are and things like that slightly more accurately and tell the police where to go. Mm -hmm.